I walk into doctor's offices and I feel like a like a, a cesspit of like gay slime that everyone like looks at me as and I'm like, what the heck? I'm just I'm just a human being. Welcome to Protected Class, a mini-series at the intersection of identity, culture, and communication. I am Carter Poppy. In this episode, I spoke with Victor Eduardo, a third year studying philosophy and winner of the 2017 Leader of the Pack Award. Among the topics we covered, the experience of being gay, what it's like to have a father who doesn't like your sexuality, what it's like to have a doctor you can't trust, and the difficulties that come with being in and out of the closet. This is Protected Class, episode two. I'm Victor Eduardo. I am a junior majoring in philosophy, and I use he, him, his pronouns. Give me an idea of uh, kind of where you grew up, your background, family, whatever you feel is important to share. I grew up in South Florida. I was born in the U.S. I was born in Massachusetts, but I left there when I was like a baby. Um, and then I grew up in South Florida. Uh, both of my parents are Brazilian immigrants, so they like came here from Brazil. I think it was like in the 80s. Um, and then I grew up in South Florida, and then I moved here to Cary in 2011, which was like halfway through eighth grade yeah i have an older brother did you ever speak um portuguese in in the home yeah so i grew up like learning english and portuguese like together because my parents would just talk to me in portuguese and then i would use english like outside of the house but now that i use english more i've developed like an accent in portuguese that i'm kind of embarrassed about (laughs) but yeah i still like speak it and understand it i'm just you sound like an american when you speak portuguese yes exactly (laughs) um i think i'm I, i don't think i sound brazilian when i speak in english but um I don't think you do. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but it's funny because I, here I feel very, like in the US, I feel kind of like Brazilian. And then in, in Brazil, I feel very American. I feel yeah. like it's like I fit in either place. You know, it's like interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you do, but you like, you have internalized a bit of the Brazilian. Yeah. Uh, okay. Is that just by virtue of like, like speaking Portuguese in the home? Like, what else? What else did you like do growing up or were surrounded by that kind of made you internalize the Brazilian identity? Well, one is like, I I guess like the values and the culture that my parents instilled in me, but also like South Florida is like full of Brazilians. Like here you don't see too many Brazilians, but South Florida, like you would see like Brazilian bakeries, like, like things in Portuguese everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I also like would visit Brazil every year as a kid, like for summer breaks. Like I I didn't have any friends. I would go to Brazil and hang out with like my family because everyone is down there. Um, (laughs) So just, yeah. So I just um, would spend like, I guess three months out of the year for most of my life. In Brazil. And then my mom moved there when I was 10. And so then I would go and visit her and like we would just hang out. Okay. So you'd regularly visit Brazil mm-hmm. as well. Okay. That's cool. Where did you go for high school? Panther Creek. Oh, you went to Panther Creek. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Jordan, which is, yeah, it's in Durham. So I have a few friends who went to Panther Creek. I don't know that much about it. I know it's in Cary. Mm-hmm. I know it's pretty white. Mm-hmm. What else is there to say about Panther Creek? Like demographically or like the school itself? Yeah, I mean, well, actually, well, both. I'm interested in both, but um, I guess starting with demographically. Um, It was, I think, a little bit more mixed than NC State is. Like it was pretty white, but I feel like NC State is like significantly more white than Panther Creek is. Um, But PC is a relatively new school. I think it was started like 10 years ago. 
and we just had our first principal, like a, a new principal for the first time ever in my senior year. It was cool. It was a big school. Um, like a good amount of people. Yeah. Um, I was in the newspaper there, so I was kind of like, oh, nice. kind of like this. Yeah. Nice. What did your friend group in high school look like? What were, what were the people who were closest to you? I was kind of, um, what's the word? I like floated around a lot. So I had like okay. little groups of friends in like different parts of the school. So my main group of friends was, we call ourselves, this is embarrassing, we call ourselves FBGM. Which stands for? Uh, Felicia, Bernice, Gertrude, <laughs> and Maria. I was Maria. Um, so it was um, my, my friend Alani Small, who grew up in New York City. Um, she's half black and half Hispanic. And then uh, my friend Lydia, who is from Ethiopia and grew up in Canada. And then my friend Shelby, who is from Kentucky and grew up in Cary. Um, so that was like my main group. But like it's sort of, I, I had like I had like different groups that I would just kind of bounce around. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, throughout, the, throughout the time there. Yeah. yeah. One thing you might be curious about, uh, I guess, given the um, what you said this discussion might be about was um, in my first year of high school, I think it was the second week of high school, I came out of the closet um, as gay. And then in junior year of high school, I started a Gay-Straight Alliance, which has since been renamed to Saga. At Panther Creek. Mm-hmm. Sexuality and Gender Alliance. Um, so that was interesting. Yeah. I started school and I was like, ah, uh, like I'm, you know, feeling like, like I would like sweat. Like I would just sit in class and like sweat because I felt like everyone was judging me. Oh. And I was just like kind of nervous all the time. You, um, that, that was in high school that you yeah. were? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you were like, you felt very, um, why? Well, I, I don't want to. Scared, terrified. Scared. Um, okay. Nervous. Yeah. 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 Um, so that then, was after you came out. It wasn't like you were afraid people would find out. It was no, like, it was before I came out. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. So you said you came out of the closet in wh- when like, again? Like the first or second week of high school. Of high school. Yeah. Okay. So when I moved to North Carolina in eighth grade, second half of eighth grade, I was like, at that point I had like accepted that I was gay. Right. And then I went through second half of eighth grade and I was like, oh my gosh, nobody knows. And then I got to high school and then um, I actually, I'll just show you this. I, I told my doctor and like she could tell that I was like nervous just to like yeah. tell her. So yeah. she was like, we're going to have you talk to somebody. Um, so then I went to go see a therapist a week before high school started. To fix you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> to fix me, yes. Um, and then um, she was like, okay, like I can see you're nervous. Like you're about to, to you know, like you want to come out and everything. Let's make this big action plan. Like we can set like a, a timeline for like who you should tell and when. Yeah. Um, it was a great first meeting. And then I had my first day of high school. And by day two of high school, I was like, screw it. I'm not going to do this timeline. I'm not going to go for any of this. I'm just going to tell everybody right now. I'm not going to spend these next four years. Um, so did you like gather the school for an assembly and you're like, I'm gay. <laughs> yes. This random first year student on day two. No, I just told like um, a bunch of my close friends. One of them I texted because I couldn't say it in person, even though she was sitting right across from me. Um, and then, yeah, I told, I think like 10 or 12 people on that first, on that first day that I came out. And then, yeah. So that it was, it was like, it was getting this like big relief, like yeah. off my shoulders, off my chest. And had like, you come out to your family at that point? No, nobody had known. Um, oh, okay. Except for one. No, I had one close friend I told in, in eighth grade. Um, like shortly before I came out to people in high school. Gotcha. Yeah. And so at what point did you come out to your parents, to your family? Ooh, um, so I told my dad, I think it was second semester, first year of high school. Um, and he was kind of, he, he said, why? Like, he was like, why, <laughs> why are you gay? I was like, well, I don't know. That's, I don't think nobody really knows the answer to that question yet. <laughs> um, do you mean like you scientifically? Um, yeah, good question. Um, but, um, no, he wasn't, he wasn't a big, um, fan of it. So that was, that was and still continues to be a process. At this point, he views it as like being born 
like missing something instead mm-hmm. of um, mm. liking the color blue over green, you know, yeah, which is yeah. how I like to view it. Yeah. Um, um, and then I think he was, I told him after I told my mom, I told my mom over email because by then she was living in Brazil. Um, I told her over email because we had watched this movie once called Prayers for Bobby. Have you heard of it? No. It's really sad. It's, it's about this, um, this gay guy who comes out to his prayers um, for Bobby prayers for Bobby. Yeah. Um, um, who comes out to his, uh, very religious parents. Um, not a happy ending, not a happy story, but I watched it with my mom when I was still in the closet. And then I sent her an email and I was like, Hey, remember that movie we watched? And she was like, yep. And I was like, I'm gay. (laughs) 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 Um, and then she reacted kind of strangely, but it was more like, she was concerned for my like well-being, like in terms of how other people would respond to me, mm, like my okay. safety. Okay. Um, yeah. And then over time, she became like a lot more cool with it. Like, okay. Yeah. But her initial reaction was kind of like protective, I guess. Like yeah. she was afraid people were gonna like I don't know beat you up for being gay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She had a lot to learn, and she was willing to learn. My dad was more like not willing to learn. Yeah. If that makes sense. I guess it's kind of forward, but like, did people beat you up for being gay? Like, how did people? At Panther Creek, I guess, specifically because that's where you came out, how did they generally respond when you told them that you were gay? Um, so I wasn't, like, beaten up, beaten up, um, and I wasn't really, I guess, directly bullied, at least not in high school. Growing up, I did have experiences where people were, were more, like, bullied me, basically. Like, for example, I remember, like, playing football in, like, fourth grade, or no, it was middle school, it was, like, seventh grade, um gym class and I was getting made fun of because I wasn't like good at playing and I was like effeminate in a way I was like throwing the ball or whatever um so I think before I came out I got bullied more than after I came out after I came out I had a pretty good like group of friends and groups of friends that I think people didn't really want to I guess mess with me like that's a weird way of saying that but like yeah like people I, I had like a good group of friends I had a good kind of like family built up at Panther Creek. And so I didn't really get a lot of direct sort of like threats or insults. Usually it would just be like either like strange looks or um, someone like whispering something. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, it wasn't, I had a pretty um, privileged experience coming out to Panther Creek. Okay. And that was by virtue of it can being a more liberal place or like, what was it that gave you privilege coming out while you were there? Um, I'm trying to think, I think it was a mix of things. I think, Panther Creek is kind of like NC State in the sense that it has like so many people that it's sort of like I feel like if I was like in like a small town and the school had like a hundred people, then it would be like a little bit more challenging. But given that it was like a pretty big school and I had like a pretty big group of friends, it wasn't that challenging. I'm not sure. I think I think Carrie in some ways is no, I wouldn't say it's liberal actually. I don't know. I'm not quite sure what it was, but I think the biggest thing was that I had a, like a big group of friends. And so like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think also after I came out, I kind of like blossomed maybe like, cause before that I was like, like I said, I would sit in class and I would just like sweat like, mm-hmm. like a lot and like go to the bathroom and have to like wipe it off. And I was just so nervous that everyone was staring at me. And then after I came out, I was like, screw this. Like I am myself. And like, I just kind of was, um, I feel like if someone tried to mess with me, I would have, um, like gone all out at them <laughs> like verbally you know what i mean so yeah, i feel like it yeah. was like yeah i feel like i was you would able have had to no like, problem responding directly yes, yeah exactly because i was just like i had sort of like grown into myself so much like and yeah. after coming out that it was yeah that made it a little bit easier i i'm interested how 
being in how being closeted for mm-hmm. so long was because so you said it was about like seventh grade eighth grade that you sort of realized for yourself that you were gay or yeah uh so it starts like the story i guess starts a very long time ago like i was like very little and i was very effeminate and everyone would throw this word at me gay and i was like i don't know what that means does that mean that i want to be a girl i'm not entirely sure um and then like I knew I was, I knew I was different, right? That's how it normally starts. Is like you realize that you're different in some way because like the people like in like in the playground treat you kind of differently. Um, you don't really connect with like the guys. You connect more with the girls, and they're kind of like, "What are you doing?" You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my parents started to suspect it. I remember one day my dad took me to this therapist who was like, "Oh, your dad mentioned that you've been hanging out with more girls recently," and I was like, um, <laughs> "Okay." So I just kept my mouth shut for most of that conversation, and then was mad at my dad afterwards for like two weeks. Um, but yeah, I, so I always knew something was different. I don't remember when I first learned what it meant. Um, but I think it was around sixth or seventh grade that I stopped fighting it. Cause I spent a few years where I was like, um, I was praying at the time, I think where I was like trying to like tell myself, like, I'm not going to be gay. Like I'm going to just put this away because this is not good. Right. Never quite questioning why I thought so until maybe middle school. Um, pushing it away, um, becoming this sort of anxious wreck in the process. Um, I had like, I developed OCD, which I don't know if it was from my parents' divorce or if it was from being in a closet, but I developed, you know, like an anxiety disorder because I was very much pushing everything down. You know what I mean? Um, And then, yeah, so it was just, it was a rough period for maybe fourth or fifth grade through about eighth grade. Um, And then, yeah, and then I accepted it. I think it was sixth or seventh grade. No, seventh or eighth grade because I remember it was when I like moved to North Carolina that I was like, at that point it felt instead of like I was pushing something away into a box, it was like I had opened the box, but it only extended like as far as I showed it to people. Mm-hmm. So at that point it felt like I was like kind of like I was hiding in my own body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Where I was like like hey like interact this way like walk that way you know talk this way um, and nobody will ever know. Um, so at that point I had accepted it and then um, it became a little bit different from there. So it was maybe like one or two years since uh, you kind of internalized and kind of accepted for yourself the fact that you were gay that mm-hmm. before you actually came out. So um, you know, I like I live with anxiety. I know that's like, but I guess I'm interested what is different about living with anxiety kind of having it I don't know like pinned in something about your identity because like mm-hmm. the anxiety I have is just kind of oh I just like don't feel good or whatever but I don't really know why it just kind of feels like today's gonna be a mess or whatever and so you know I, I deal with anxiety but it's kind of without it seems like it's without like a, a root cause mm-hmm. how did thinking about your own anxiety or maybe if even if it, maybe it wasn't even like important to you at the time but like how did you think about your anxiety with respect to my identity? Yeah, hiding mm-hmm. hiding being gay and like all, all like all, all of those effects as well. Um so growing up my parents and my brother and I don't think anybody else my parents and my brother would always tell me um like don't walk that way, girls walk that way, don't talk that way, don't move your hands that way when you when you talk. Yeah. Um and so I think for me I like associated that with being gay. I think they associated that with being gay when they were telling me that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the aspect of the anxiety that I think connected with being gay was 
like only insofar as I was like changing my movements. Like it yeah. was like it was like this sort of disgustingly hyper awareness of like how I was sitting, like how my posture was, how I was walking, um, like being self-conscious of how my voice sounded when I spoke up in class. Yeah. Um, saying the right things. I remember some, someone in sixth grade asked me to show them my nails and then I like held it. I mean, I, no one can see it, but I held it like I like kind of held it this way mm-hmm. instead of like holding my hand out and my fingers showing up. And he was like, oh, if you do it that way, it means you're straight. And if you do it the other way, it means you're gay. And so then I was like, oh my gosh, like, I need <laughs> to do this every time someone asks me to see my nails next. Yeah. Um, so it was more, it felt kind of like I was like wearing this like really heavy like coat, this really heavy set of clothes. And I like had like every movement was like made so much more challenging and everything was like, I was, I spent so much like mental energy focusing on that instead of like anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Putting a lot of energy into how you present yourself Mm -hmm. and how you're interacting with people. I guess I want to go back a little bit Mm -hmm. back to when you were, Kind of first processing that all these things you were doing, all these uh, behaviors you were exhibiting kind of aligned with being effeminate. Mm-hmm. When when you were first kind of thinking about those things, I guess did like identifying as a girl ever cross your mind? You know, there's being effeminate, there's being gay, there's uh, identifying as a girl. Like, you know, all these things that are kind of complex in how people identify. How did you <laughs> kind of realize that it was your sexuality that was different rather than necessarily your gender? Or, I mean, is it the case that it is kind of both? It's a good question. I think, so you mean sort of like gender, like expression versus gender identity? Like, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like how did you think about the difference between expression and identity for yourself? I don't think I ever actually like put thought into it in that way. Like I think a lot about how, you know, like how like, straight people don't often think about the fact that they're straight because most people are nowadays. You know what I mean? You don't have to because you're surrounded by people who are and you don't have the anxiety that you had about about like how you expressed your heterosexuality. Exactly. Um, So it was kind of like that for me with gender. Like I I wasn't thinking that, you know, because I was acting a certain way or talking a certain way that like, like it wasn't posing the question so much if I wanted to um, be a girl, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I was, I remember once when I was very, very little, like parents still together, I was probably like five or six years old, um, that my mom asked me if I wanted to be a girl. And I was like, no, like kind of like on instinct. But then I thought about it and I was like, I mean, I do see some overlaps in the way that I like do things, but I don't think that that's something that like I want to be. You know what I mean? I was like, I kind of, I, I, like, I like the way I am. I just am a little bit different. From, I guess, the stereotypical, I guess. Um, what a boy is. Yeah, what a boy is. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I ever, like, actually put, like, thought into it so much. It was more that when I acted like myself, people told me it was effeminate. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was just doing me. And then people were like, that's different. And then yeah. it was more it's more so, like, the feedback I was getting that was like, you're doing this weirdly. And I was like, why? Yeah. Like, I don't think everyone else around me is actively trying to practice masculinity in the way that they talk. And when they do it, they look that certain way. When I do it, I look this certain way. So I never really thought about it as far as gender so much. It was just being myself. So within your close friend group, when you were first coming out, Mm -hmm. what were people's feedback to you when you said that you were gay? What what did it look like? Um, I think, so 
by the time, like right before I came out of the closet, I had become pretty great at like pretending. So people were really surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, when I told them, they were like, oh my gosh, like, I had no idea like that you like were gay. Um, so people were mostly surprised when I told them. And then afterwards I became more like comfortable in my own skin. And then I just started like being myself more. And then I wonder if people were like, oh, like he changed after he came out of the closet. Oh. <laughs> really, it was more just like, no, I stopped pretending. Um, yeah, people were mostly surprised. Um, my friends, like for the most part, and by that, I mean, actually, I don't think anyone gave me a bad response, but people were like universally just like, oh, that's, that's cool. Like, that's like, that's fine. Like, you know, we still love you. Like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was cool given that it was like first year of high school, like no one, like everyone's like nervous and like just finished middle school. No one really thinks about um, sexuality, but people were pretty accepting. I learned later that my like best friend who I first told, um, told her mom and I was like, and she told me that she never told anybody. She told me like six years later that she actually told her mom the same day I came out to her. <laughs> I was like, that really sucks. Like I thought you were the only person in my, like in my life that knew, but I guess your mom always knew. And um, she's not a huge fan of, my kind, her mom. So I don't think that was a good thing, but um, yeah, for the most part, people were pretty, um, people were pretty like accepting and helpful. I think I had to get used to navigating that dynamic with people knowing Mm -hmm. after that, like I was like, can I talk about guys that I'm attracted to now? Like, how do I do that? You know what I mean? Because it's definitely different. Like when a guy does it versus when a girl does it. Yeah. But yeah, for the most, for the most part, people were pretty, people were pretty cool with it. You said that your dad's still, that you're still kind of, mm-hmm. it's a process. Mm-hmm. When you first came out to him, you said the, his response was why. To what extent had you sort of, I don't know, educated yourself about. What it was? Yeah. When you were trying to communicate to him about being gay, like to what extent did you have to kind of like teach him things? Mm-hmm. What did that look like? Because I'm interested also in your actions with people who are, their instinct is not to be accepted mm-hmm. when you say they're gay. So I guess starting with your father, I'm interested what, what that looked like. So I, um, I did a lot of prep work. Okay. So it was kind of funny because for me growing up, I like didn't have a lot of friends. Like I played World of Warcraft all day on my computer. I didn't talk to anybody, um, for like three or four years. Um, and so I pretty much learned to like socialize and like be, by going to WikiHow and like looking up like how to make friends, like how to, you know, keep a conversation going, how to break the ice with somebody. Um, so Thanks, I was, internet. I had, yeah, I had gotten used to sort of like researching how to do things that either people mostly already knew how to do or like. I'm being like formulaic about. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so when it came to this, I like that wasn't new to me either. I, like, I did a lot of research on like what like cause, like what the current theories suggest cause homosexuality, you know, like epigenetics. Um, and then I had my own experiences where I was like, I don't, I didn't make this choice. Like I just am this way. Um, so I definitely had sort of that like context going into that conversation. Um, my dad didn't finish high school in Brazil. So he like, doesn't really like to engage in, um, more like in-depth conversations. Like he gets like frustrated and tired and just is like, fine, whatever. I don't care. Um, so when I like, and also English isn't his first language, obviously. And so when I tried to talk to him about these things, um, he like wasn't and still often doesn't get it. Um, my mom, on the other hand, she got an associate's degree 
and was more like interested in like um, education and like learning about people who were different from her. Um, and so for her, with her, it was more easy to sort of explain myself. And she was, she was a lot more charitable in terms of what I was saying. Yeah. You know, like my dad was more like, oh, like this is the way that I have been raised. This is what I know and think and believe. So like what you're saying to me doesn't make any sense. Like he still says that like marriage should be between a man and a woman because of religion, but he's not even very religious. So it's more that I think he just internalized a certain cultural perspective and he's using religion to justify it. Whereas my mom was more like, this is different, but I'm willing to listen. Yeah. The willingness to listen and be educated rather than attempt to educate about it. Yeah, exactly. My brother is the same way as my dad. They are very like, intense masculine macho bro kind of thing like so they're very like what like feelings emotions um so yeah so that was yeah that's that's been interesting to discuss with my brother too i mean sometimes it's like with certain people it's more challenging but i think now that i'm like older and like i said since i came out of the closet i like speak up more about a lot of things i think that people don't want to share that they don't like agree whatever Mm -hmm. that means with Mm -hmm. You know, me being gay, um, my brother's wife's parents, for example, are incredibly conservative and they are just very polite. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like polite, quote unquote. Like when they met my partner, they were like, oh, yeah, like he's a very, very nice man. And I was like, <laughs> OK, thank you. I think that you're saying that to pat yourself on the back. Um, but I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah. So nowadays it doesn't become so much that like I have to sort of explain myself as much to yeah. people because most of the people I surround myself with, like I'm on a college campus, you know, um, either um, have the privileges and ability to know how to learn about it themselves if they wanted to, um, or ask me about it. And often in a way that is like, I am open to learning as opposed to, I'm going to push back on you. As I, as I told you before, I don't, I never had gay people in my, in my close friend group. Mm-hmm. And honestly coming to college, like approaching conversations about sexuality and gender was just like scary for me. You know, of course, it's a different sort of scary because I'm straight and cis and I don't have to worry about it being reflected on my identity or, you know, on me personally when I engage in these conversations. But I mean, it was sort of a, in a way, just like a simple xenophobic fear of like coming to a conversation about something I have no personal understanding of, no personal experience with. It's like new territory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a common impulse for people if you don't grow up around people who are gay if you don't grow up in a culture that accepts that being gay is like okay then you're not gonna really have any framework for entering a conversation about about mm-hmm. that like what if i offend them with this question like how do i say this like, yeah exactly kind of yeah and yeah like policing your own language is another part of it i could see a similarity between how you policed your actions and expression because you didn't want to like come off of as effeminate or you were just aware of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And in a similar way, like whenever I talk about this, I still even now sort of have an anxiety about like, okay, I have to be using exactly the right language and phrasing things in a way that is not going to come off as ignorant or Mm -hmm. whatever. You're doing great. If that's helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. The reason I'm saying this is what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is this theme of, people having the difficulty frankly talking about this mm-hmm. because they take that anxious impulse and they turn it into instead of like, okay, I need to be careful in how I respond. It's more like I need to be aggressive in mm-hmm. how I respond. 
Or they run away from it and then they never learn anything. Yeah. And I could see that sort of being the case with your dad. Like he mm-hmm. kind of just gives up on conversations or whatever. And a deeper thing about this is that I think people just need a level of emotional intelligence to be able to have conversations about, well, generally things they don't understand, but like for people who are like straight or cis or whatever, talking about gender and sexuality takes a level of understanding yourself as anxious coming into the conversation to give yourself some room to, you know, express that. It's, it's hard for you to really frankly have a sort of conversation about identity if it's not something you are educated about. And I, I'm just trying to speak to like the people who don't know how you have these conversations, just like recognize that for yourself and be okay not knowing what you're talking about, but then opening yourself up to being educated as well. I think that's the biggest part is like being open to it. I think um, it's like, I think, so you said like you, if you grew up in a culture where you don't see a lot of gay people, then you don't know anything about it. But I think also if you grew up in a culture where you do see a lot of gay people, that doesn't necessarily mean that you will understand a lot about it because you're kind of like in that case, like a fish in a fishbowl, like not aware that you're in water, right? Like I think it takes sort of like humility and humility to being um to like not understanding something to be able to engage in those conversations i think that's like relevant in like so many different kinds of conversations about identity about politics about people it's like it's okay to be wrong it's okay to say something wrong it's okay to it's important to be open to understanding i hadn't even thought about the fish in a fishbowl sort of thing as i mentioned i grew up around a lot of black people Mm -hmm. and you know, even now I'm still educating myself about the complexities of race relations in America, the experience of being black, mm-hmm. you know, all these things that I didn't pick up just because I was around black people in high school. There was an extra barrier because they weren't like in my close friend group, but mm-hmm. definitely just because you're around it doesn't necessarily make mean that you understand it. Mm-hmm. And even just because you are it doesn't necessarily mean you understand it either because you only understand your own experience. Mm -hmm. To what extent have you had to engage with people who, like your dad, just had the impulse of rejection when they learned that you're gay? To what degree have you directly interacted with people like that? You surrounded yourself with people who were accepting, and so um, I'm guessing that's not the norm. But to what extent have you kind of had to confront rejection at the... Mm -hmm sentence i'm gay i think given the current climate politically it's people are very like scared to say anything to me about being gay you know what i mean so i think people are more like like more quiet like now everyone else is in the closet you know what i mean about like their actual (laughs) thoughts um so i don't think i've so i haven't encountered like any sort of like direct aggression the usual thing that happens is either someone will be like oh my gosh that's so gay and then they'll like kind of recoil when they realize who's standing around them and then i just say something back but also i i think in a lot of institutional situations i encounter that like places where the people that have been there have been there for a while um i think of like i've had a lot of experiences like at the doctor's office where they ask certain questions in a certain way and it's like they're very uncomfortable with me being there or they are judging me. I had someone give me a (laughs) short lecture about who I am. I don't really want to elaborate on that, but that was interesting. I'm like, you're a physician. Like, this is strange. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
or I guess he was a nurse practitioner, but yeah. But so, and then another time I was meeting with a physician um, and he was asking me what medications I was taking and I was on prep, which is um, sort of like birth control for HIV. Like you take it and it makes you like immune, virtually oh. immune. Um, didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Not a lot of people have heard of it. So I was on prep. Um, well, I wouldn't know that because I don't, I don't, wouldn't need that because. You're well, going to be considered at, at risk. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so I was on, I was like, oh yeah, I'm on prep. And he's like, oh, so you have HIV. And I was like, no, I'm on prep. He's like, okay, so you are taking it because you have HIV. And I was like, no. He's like, I was like, I'm, I'm, this I'm is a physician. Yeah. From a, like a, from a surgeon. And I was like, no, I'm on prep because I'm considered at risk as a gay man. He was like, yeah, you guys ha do have a lot of, um, risks, don't you? And I was like, fascinating conversation that I'm having wow. with this person with a, you know, a wow. medical degree. Um, so it's, it's more, I think those experiences tend to be more in institutions where people have been there for a while, been doing the same thing for a while. Um, and perhaps don't have a lot of access to, um, cultural competence. It wouldn't really be cultural, I guess, in that case, but, um, competence, <laughs> just leave it at competence. <laughs> people don't have access to trainings regarding being competent at their jobs, working with people from a wide variety of different backgrounds. Competent in this specific context of like how you, how to understand sexuality. <laughs> yes. Which is a, of course a key part of confidence, but. Especially if you're a physician or a surgeon. Right. At that point, it's not cultural competence. It's yeah. a part of your job to exactly. understand that. Yeah. So. Like in, I walk into doctor's offices and I feel like a, like a, a cesspit of like gay slime <laughs> that everyone like looks at me as and I'm like, what the heck? I'm just, I'm just a human being. Hello. Who's diagnosing him? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've never experienced that in the medical field or even like with the, in the, the mental health profession, even mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just trying to think about what, what would it be like if I could, if I were to walk into a doctor and didn't really fully trust that my doctor like understood me and it just kind of seems like scary. I don't, I like, I don't, I don't honestly don't really know what to think that would, what that would be like. I mean, like, how do you, like, do you have a good doctor now? Like, do you, do you have a way to sort of trust that when you go to the doctor that you will like be given the care that you need or mm -hmm. are you still kind of I, I I did find one um she's like really great she like is really progressive and like an overall like awesome human being so I haven't run into that issue much anymore that's just like a specific challenge that I've never faced for a lot of reasons namely one because I'm not gay and so I'm just like just sort of thinking about that. That's why you see sort of like um, like LGBT friendly clinics, and then people are like, "Why? Like, that makes the purpose sense. of that." It's like okay, well, <laughs> so that's sort of and that's sort of in an effort to like indicate, okay, despite maybe like bad experiences with other like doctors or counselors or whatever like professionals, we are professionals who like understand and are competent and like are willing to engage with you in a way that indicates to you that you can trust us. Mm -hmm. Okay. We're not going to lecture you in that the middle sense. of a, that makes a sense. visit. Yeah. Cause I like, you know, I see those signs and never really thought anything of it. Of course, cause I don't, I, I don't personally need to. And it's just interesting to think like, okay, the reason for those existing is because people do have bad experiences with mm -hmm. other institutions that don't advertise themselves as LGBT friendly or whatever mm -hmm. it is as an ally. I want to go back to something you said about other people being in their closet, about like, your <laughs> opinions regarding sexuality and gender. What are your thoughts on people not really sharing 
their homophobia out loud. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, is it is it better that way? Or is that's it like- to wonder. Like, I don't know if it's better. Like, if I'd rather have people be more like vocal and upfront. Yeah. I, so I think for me personally, I would rather them be more like vocal and upfront because then you open the space for dialogue. But I think that for me, as a little kid, or for like people who are much younger than me who are experiencing questions regarding their gender and sexuality, that it's better if people aren't so vocal because like if you're like you need safe spaces yeah like if you're ranting about gay people at the dinner table and your nephew is like six feet away and like he's hearing everything you're saying it's like similar to the reason we don't like cuss around kids but it's Mm -hmm. even more like impactful yeah exactly um i think that there are definitely some like microaggressions that like we internalize but i think that when like when I was growing up and I was more like vulnerable and impressionable that the upfront loud vocalness would not have been a good thing for me. Yeah. Right. Right. Like I'm, what I'm thinking about is, you know, it's contextual whether it's a good thing that people actually share their earnest thoughts about mm-hmm. or feelings, thoughts and feelings about gay people. Cause yeah, definitely in lots of contexts you want to feel safe you want to feel like you can be yourself without fear of like bodily harm or Mm -hmm. retribution, judgment, whatever. And that's especially important during development, Mm -hmm. like you were saying, because you don't want to, you want, you don't want to screw up a kid by like telling them you're gay. Well, Mm -hmm. you're wrong. Like that equates to bad. Yeah. Like I think it's better to, I mean, not better, but it's better to feel othered when you're, older and more like grown into yourself yeah and, like able to fight back yeah able to face it yeah like yeah. able to able to engage with it in a way that's not drastically harmful to yourself i mm-hmm. guess yeah because you know people talk about also about brave spaces mm-hmm. and creating contexts where you invite the animosity that is associated with homophobia mm-hmm. um, and you invite it in so that you can interact with it directly and, mm-hmm. and like speak about it directly. I'm just thinking about where, in what context do we want to see that? You yeah. Know? Do you want to see that if you're just like walking through Tally and you're like wearing your, your uh, watch band, which is a rainbow, mm-hmm. do you want someone to shout at you? You're a something, blah, blah, blah. Is that what you, is that what we want, or does it? We only want that in certain contexts, you know. And yeah, like, that's a hard question, I think, for me. Because <laughs> if you create those spaces, how do you get people into them? How do you directly address with people? Mm-hmm. Okay, this is what being gay is, and like this is how it's understood. Now let's talk about it. You speak about your personal experience, not having gone to school with people who are gay, or like whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a simple thing to just like pull people into that space. Mm-hmm. It's like two extremes. One is like the echo chamber where no one goes, right. and then the other one is like everybody you look, people are shouting like expletives at you, right? Right, right. Neither f- seems good for dialogue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, I think in the case of me walking through Tally and someone yelling something at me, I think that would be like more like harassment. Like that's like yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. I would think more of. Um, I think the university is a good space for that because people are here for the most part people have grown into themselves people are willing to like people have you know gone through puberty gone through high school for the most part and feel as if they like have an understanding of their values and like their beliefs Mm -hmm. 
So like, here's a space where I think people should be sharing their thoughts with each other in more, in those brave spaces. So I think of like, like a forum event or like um, a lecture that someone gives, you know, talking to someone beside you. Um, I think, I think that like this sort of like random, like attacks on other people aren't so productive. I think it's more of a pushing yourself out of your comfort zone to open those dialogues. I think it takes a lot of initiative is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like it takes yeah. personal initiative. Like someone has to be willing to go and have those conversations and seek friendships with people who are different from them. I think a lot of s- systematic university level things um, are created to foster that. Like residence halls, for example, are for the most part randomized. Um, and then you meet people that are different from you. I've shared my experiences with a lot of people in residence halls who have never met a gay person before. And then they like have learned a lot as a result. Um, but I think it takes personal initiative because it's also very easy in this setting to just go and isolate yourself with the same, you know, 10 group of guys in your fraternity or same group of people in your student club and never see anybody different from you. Um, I think it takes personal initiative to like make those conversations happen. Um, This is a space for that because it's such a dense bubble of maybe not, but it, at least tries to be a dense bubble of people from a wide variety of different backgrounds. So it's like prime time. It's like we're, we're ripe, you know, like a a kid growing up, like can learn multiple languages and speak um, and play different instruments. It's like a prime time for learning. Like this is a prime time for learning about people who are different from you. And it takes personal initiative to do that. You're not going to passively learn to play the piano. You have to try to do it. You know what I mean? And for a lot of people, NC State, is diverse because or comparatively so because they come from a background where they wouldn't have had any opportunity to interact with anybody like you or anybody mm-hmm. like like maybe they didn't go to school with any black people like you know mm-hmm. you coming to nc state for some people can be an experience where they face a level of adversity that's just not familiar mm-hmm. but i think for you and me individually like nc state's not really that <laughs> mm-hmm. um they could do better <laughs> And then uh, taking a cross-section of like the state and the country, I think also with respect to those, definitely could be doing better representing people who are North Carolinian or American even. Mm-hmm. One thing you mentioned, like you, you said like someone shouting at you and Tali, that's not really a productive environment for dialogue. And yeah, like I agree. I don't think it's, <laughs> you know, they yelled at you and imagine like you going and sitting down next to them and talking to them like, hey, why why did you say that? Like what what's your what's your experience with the gay people? Like that's not really a context where they're gonna be willing to be like emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in a conversation. Yeah, yelling at someone and telling I don't think they'd be like willing to have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> they might be emotionally vulnerable about the aggression they're feeling, but <laughs> that's that's about it. I think one thing you said that was um important that I wanted to like, I guess, share my thoughts on was the the rainbow band. Yeah. I think that in a space like this, like this university like, you know, people trying to, like, learn about people different from themselves. Visibility is important. Um, Visibility. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think in the university level, it's, like, showing other people that, you know, like, we exist. Like, we're here. You know, talk to us. Like, you're going to see us around campus. You're going to see us after you graduate. Um, you probably saw us before you got here. Maybe you didn't know, like, who we were. Um, but we exist. And I think, like, outside of the university, then it's more for people who maybe don't have the confidence to come out. Maybe you don't have the... Um, privilege to come out because people in their household are not willing to be understanding or um, maybe it's not a safe space for them and then it's the same idea like you know you see like like role models or people who are visible doing things out there that represent the queer community and then it's 
it's helpful. Like I remember going up and like hearing about like Anderson Cooper, you know, or um, Russell Tovey, who's an actor in a BBC show um, and being like, okay, like we're out there. You know what I mean? Like we exist. And that's like why I wear this. And it's just to like, to be visible, to be like unapologetically visible. Right. If that makes sense. Right. And visibility with other identities, like, you know, race is an easy one. Like you're Sikh. It's pretty obvious that you're Sikh. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if you're male, I guess if you're female, that's a little different. Yeah, with with lots of identities, like visibility is just kind of inherent with it. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia has like an article about LGBT, the LGBTQ uh, community in the United States. Mm-hmm. Well, actually globally. But in the United States, it's something like on average 5% of the population identifies as gay, lesbian, trans, queer. And beyond just like that being a very small segment of American society, it's also that doesn't really come with visibility. Mm-hmm. Like you were just saying, like they're like the invisible minorities. What right. They say sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't, <laughs> if you got a group of hundred people in a room, like you can't just look around and be like, okay, yeah, there are five gay people in here. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have to like go up and like talk to people to like actually figure it out. Mm-hmm. And there, there might be hypotheses that the reason the um, rates are so low is pe- with people identifying that way is because, they don't actually have an opportunity to see others like them mm-hmm. and like be willing to embrace their own identity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I can definitely see lots of, for lots of reasons, the importance of creating visibility for being gay, mm-hmm. trans, lesbian, whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, it'd be a lot easier if we all just had pointy ears. Right. Exactly. Identify each other pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that would make the dating game easier. Too. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Everything would be much easier and also in some ways more dangerous. But right, right. On where you are. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'll just leave it open to if you want to add anything about like any part of your experience that you feel like you were saying people lack the perspective to understand about you or just being gay in general. If there's anything you want to add about how people talk and relate to each other about the gay identity experience of being gay, whatever you want to add, anything you want to add right here at the end. Um, I mean, anything, anything that we didn't cover in the conversation that you want to, or anything you want to emphasize that we did cover. I think the fish in a fishbowl thing is important. I think about that a lot. Like, I think about all the things that I don't, don't think about. I try to think about the things I don't think about, which I guess makes some things I think about <laughs> um, that I don't realize because they're so, like, ingrained in my experience. Um, I think that's an important idea to be aware of. Um, I just think about that a lot. And just, just to, like, reiterate, the fish in the fishbowl idea is... It's hard to unpack the things that you take for granted that you experience every day until you see them in a different light or see them from a different angle or different perspective. Mm. People say like study abroad is so like transformative, for example, because you see all of your customs and your culture and your background and your preferences and quirkiness and whatever in a completely different light because the people around you don't share the same, um, all of the above. And so to me, like the fish in the fishbowl thing is just... um, recognizing that there are things about your experiences that you don't realize are um, unique. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like figuring out how to recognize the water around you. Yeah, exactly. Either by like taking yourself out of it. Yeah. Or looking like, really hard. <laughs> yeah, looking really hard, being like reflective and meditative, I guess. Victor Water, thank you so much for coming in and talking to me. It's been very helpful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Adios.
This episode of Protected Class was written, edited, recorded, and produced by me. Kevin Parella produced the theme music. Protected Class is produced in collaboration with WKNC 88.1 FM HD1 Raleigh. If you want to contribute to this series by sitting down for an interview, I would love to hear from you. Just email editor at precy.com. You can also message the page on Facebook or tweet at Precy News on Twitter. I am Carter Poppy, and I will see you next time.